today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. It has been dubbed COVID brain fog. It's a common term used to describe worrisome cognitive symptoms, uh, signaling something could be going wrong inside the brain. And uh, while COVID-19 is best known as a respiratory disease, it can also cause debilitating neurological symptoms, and it can happen to those who otherwise might just have mild COVID-19 symptoms. Global News anchor Donna Friesen reports that scientists, including in Canada, are now studying COVID's impact on the brain. At first, Erica Taylor thought her symptoms were just a sinus infection. I honestly didn't think that I had COVID, but I got tested as a precaution. Her results came back positive. Over the next six weeks, she developed severe headaches, started losing her memory and getting confused. It feels like your brain is broken. Doctors call it brain fog, a common term to describe neurological issues that can include dizziness, memory loss, and the inability to find words. In November, researchers found between 10 to 35 percent of COVID-19 survivors in the U.S. experience similar disabling and persistent neurological symptoms. Here in Canada, scientists are recruiting COVID-19 survivors to do MRIs on their brains, tracking any changes. It's a rather troubling story, and we wanted to get some details on this. And uh, to that end, we're so pleased to welcome to the program Dr. Simon Graham, who is a senior scientist with Sunnybrook Research Institute uh, involved in this program. Doctor, thank you so much for the time. Glad you could be with us here today. Happy to be here, Bill. I got to tell you, I, I, I read the overview of, of what you're going to be doing here and listen to Donna's reporting on this. Uh, in China, it's about 30 to 40 percent of hospitalized patients had neurological problems. We, now, we've heard of this as we're starting to hear about more symptoms of COVID-19 over the last nine or 10 months. But I got to tell you, doctor, I was surprised that the numbers are this high. Yeah, it's uh, not uh, common, common knowledge, really. Um, I mean, you do see some media articles about people having brain fog and, and things like this, but uh, I think we need to have a bit more media outreach to just kind of get people's uh, appreciation of the issue. Well, you raise an interesting point that I'd like you to expand on, if you could, because uh, we know about the respiratory problems and, and the ventilators and, the, and the, the horrific conditions that some people in the extreme uh, positions can actually find themselves in in, in ICUs. Uh, but you raise the question, is, uh, is the breathing a problem uh, because of something in the lungs, or is it the brain not sending the right signals to the lungs? That's right. So, um, you know, if you get uh, COVID-19, the virus uh, can potentially get into the brain uh, through your nose, so, um, you know, up through the nerves in your nasal cavity. And uh, so from there, it's, a, it's possible for it to migrate into kind of the middle of your brain, and that's an area that's involved in the control of respiration and your heartbeat. And so you can get abnormal r- respiratory symptoms and heartbeat symptoms as a consequence of that, potentially. Uh, by the way, that, that should send up red flags to people that I still see walking around the odd time I'm outside uh, that have their mask on, but they have their nose bare. I think, well, it's uncomfortable. Uh, the virus can get in through it. it can, as, as you found in just even your initial studies, it can cause pretty serious damage, can't it? Yeah. So um, we're, we're doing this study right now called NeuroCOVID-19, and uh, we're doing these brain imaging studies of patients that have been hospitalized and self-isolated, uh, or self-isolated, I should say. And uh, we're testing them after they're no longer infectious. And we found uh, in a fraction of, the, uh, of those two groups, you know, even if you're, if you're hospitalized or self-isolated, that there's... Uh, that, that there are definitely things that we can see on the on the MR images that 
that show that the virus has had an impact on the brain. When we talk about some of the things, we talked about, you know, loss of, of, of cognitive abilities. Sometimes we get a little dizzy. I mean, and we've all maybe experienced that if you've had a bad case of flu or any number of other things. Uh, but for it to be happening in situations like this, I guess the first question a lot of people would have, Doctor, uh, with the studies that you've done so far, are these everlasting symptoms? Uh, do they remain long after the COVID uh, virus is gone? Well, um that's kind of what we're trying to do the study to find out, actually. Okay. Um, so I think, I think it's going to be a, um, uh, a situation where in some people the symptoms uh, uh, recover relatively quickly, but then there's going to be other people where uh, they're going to be impacted for quite some time. And unfortunately, in some cases, people are going to be impacted uh, permanently. Uh, so we have seen some examples of people that have had quite major effects in their brain, and I would say that in those cases, those people are going to be uh, living with the effects for quite some time indeed. Is, is there a specific demographic, or can this happen to anybody at any age? Well, um, this is the other thing. Uh, I mean, you, you tend to hear right now that, um, you know, people in long-term care homes are the one and, and very frail people are the, the people that are most likely to get very ill and uh, unfortunately die. Um, what we're finding in our study is that these brain effects are occurring in people in their 40s and 50s. We've had some effects even in people in their 30s. So um, I, I think that... Um, you know, that's also sort of a misconception that, oh, you know, I might not, I'm, I'm probably safe because I'm a relatively healthy person. Um, my, my feeling on that is really that uh, people shouldn't kind of roll the dice uh, and they shouldn't put themselves in situations where they might get infected. Because even though the, the possibility of a brain effect is low, I don't think it's something that you really want to risk. Yeah, I think I like to think anyway, Doctor. We're over that uh, that myth that we seem to have back in February, March. That uh, this is a COVID nineteen is really it's just it's an elderly disease. It doesn't much have an impact on on people of, of you know younger generations, younger demographics. We know that not to be true now. Yes, yes, I would agree. So a couple of other things here too, and and again we've talked about loss of smell and i remember talking with some folks about this a couple of weeks ago and they said well yeah i get a bad cold i lose sense of smell but that's because my nasal passages are congested when you have a cold uh the loss of smell as i understand it doctor uh through covid uh it doesn't have to be any any nasal congestion it's just again it seems to point more to the fact that there's a brain function that could be injured or suffering here yeah, so there's really um, a couple of effects that can go on there. So the virus can actually get into the nerves that uh, that connect your nasal cavity into the brain. So that could affect affect your um, your sense of smell. And if the virus actually migrates from those nerves up into the brain where the sensation of smell is processed, then um, then that also could be sort of a more a more profound effect. And people that have these, um, the neurological effect of loss of sense of smell, uh, some of them don't regain their smell for at least three months after they've been infected. So it's quite a profound uh, effect. With the, the studies you've done so far, and I, I know that you know, we're still relatively new into the, into the pandemic here, and, and there's more to be learned almost every day, but when we talk about some of these other warning signs like dizziness, uh, memory loss, confusion, 
uh, difficulty finding words, things of this nature. It, it, it sounds an awful lot like onset dementia, but I mean, uh, somebody's going to get awfully worried when they feel that, that, that they're experiencing some of these things. Do they tend to last for a period of weeks, months, and some? Because we've heard about uh, the long haulers, and you know the phrase that we, right. we use now for people who just can't seem to get rid of the COVID virus. I mean, it, you know, they they seem to be cured, and then they say, show symptoms again and again. Uh, is this one of the examples where that happens? Yes, I would say so. So, I mean, if you're if you have COVID and you have a bad bout of flu-like symptoms, you're going to potentially get things that sound sort of like brain fog. Um, if after you've uh, recovered and are no longer infectious, these symptoms keep persisting, that's the time for cause for concern. Um, and you know, people that have these long hauler symptoms. Uh, you know, they should be talking to their, their family doctors, for example, to see if anything can be done or, and, and follow up on it. Does, and again, I understand that this, you know, you're, we're still learning every day here, and you're just accumulating uh, as much information as you can at this stage. Uh, is there a concern that if, if you're showing some of these symptoms and it's, it's diagnosed that it could well be as a result of a COVID-positive test, uh, do those symptoms get worse? Do, do they, does the brain deteriorate? Um, so that's, that's an interesting issue. Um, I think it's, it's possible that it could. Um, one of the symptoms that you can get with uh, COVID impact on the brain is, uh, is stroke. Um, you can get small strokes. And um, if you, for example, have a stroke that causes uh, a significant impact on a certain area of the brain, which causes you significant impairment in activities of daily living or quality of life, um, there's a possibility that that can lead to some, uh, you know, psychiatric effects because, uh, you know, people are profoundly affected by the, the loss of brain function. And so it is, it is possible that people could get worse over time rather than better. Um, that would obviously be a very unfortunate circumstance. Any indication at all, doctor, at this stage about who may be more prone to this? Because as you say, there's uh, some people that, that are, do test positive, uh, show mild symptoms, uh, yet still can develop uh, this, this COVID brain fog that we're talking about. Others that could have severe symptoms and not see much or any, at least it hasn't been reported anyway, uh, that they've shown any of those symptoms. Yeah, so this is an area that's um, being researched. Uh, like you said, we still don't know a lot about the virus, but um, I've read that there is some recent research indicating that uh, certain people with certain genetic dispositions are particularly um, likely to be uh, disposed to the virus. Um, the other thing is that people that have a variety of different types of vascular risk factors such as uh, are smokers um, or overweight or have diabetes. These are people that are uh, potentially likely to have an impact on the brain as well. So can we extrapolate from that that people that do have some, well, let's say some lifestyle challenges, uh, as you say, could be diabetic, could be smoking, could be a, a, abusive substances, et cetera. Uh, are, are they more prone? Are they, they more likely to develop something like this? Yes, I would say they they have a they have a higher pro probability. It's not a certainty. It's a it's a prob a probability. 
Now, when you undertake a study like this, Doctor, I'm fascinated about uh, how it's done, and I know you're still looking for folks that, uh, that may want to take part in the study uh, at Sunnybrook, and uh, if anybody's interested, uh, we can talk about that just in, in a couple of seconds here. Uh, but do, do you have an end game, what you're looking for here, or is this just a matter of gathering as much data as you possibly can and then drawing conclusions from what the data tells you? Well, we're... Um Yes, a certain part of the study is exploratory, but we're also looking to see that the brain effects are consistent with other literature that's been uh, researched over the years about the mechanisms that viruses enter into the brain. So, I mean, it's 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 a little off topic, but there's many, many other viruses and, and foreign pathogens that can get into the brain. So, and COVID-19 is just one of them. Um, so there is this literature, and we're trying to see whether or not the results in humans are, are consistent with, with, this other, with this other literature. Uh, the other ones that we're talking about, are they all coronaviruses, uh, SARS, uh, the, the MERS, the Middle East uh, Respiratory Syndrome? Are they, are they all in the same family? Uh, no, there are other, other viruses that can potentially get into the brain as well, uh, like bird flu and H1N1 flu and uh, things like that, herpes. So there's a wide variety here. Uh, have any of those other coronaviruses shown any of the similar symptoms to, to this brain fog that, that you're studying right now? Um, well, I'm not particularly well up on this literature, but I do know that uh, in the Spanish, uh, Spanish flu epidemic in the early 1900s, there were some uh, cases of people that had neurological effects. Interesting about about who's going to be prone to this, and I know that uh, as you say, you're starting to develop a, a a kind of a prototype to understand exactly where this is coming from and who might be impacted by this as well. Uh, what are the people that you've talked to who have gone through this telling you? Are they, uh, the, the sensations that they're feeling, and 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 we've talked about mental health through this whole pandemic, doctor. Uh, is this is obviously going to be a contributing factor to stress levels for people that are going through COVID to begin with, and all of a sudden if they start having cognitive concerns about this. Uh, you have to wonder about the, the long-term uh, psychological impact it's going to have on them. Oh, absolutely. So some of the, the people that we've uh, studied have been uh, very anxious to try and find out what's wrong with them uh, and to get access to uh, some of the, the imaging that we can provide so that they can uh, take it to their, uh, their physicians and, and try and get more worked up. Um, and, and, and tested more and potentially get some uh, treatments brought to bear if it's possible. Um, I've had discussions with people about how they've said that, uh, you know, they just don't feel themselves completely different people from what they were um, before they had the virus. Uh, and like you said, it, symptoms of brain fog where people can't uh, concentrate or uh, they've got memory problems, uh, inability to focus their attention, things like this. And it's very anxiety-provoking. I can imagine in situations like that, sure, especially when you don't know what's going on inside your head. I, I can understand the stress levels that that would create. If somebody's experiencing these symptoms, uh, such as the ones we've just talked about here, but don't feel as if um, they're displaying any of the other uh, symptoms of COVID-19, uh, so, you know, the shortness of breath, respiratory problems, and things of this nature, uh, is the first step in trying to get a diagnosis, at least to get a, a test for COVID? Well, uh, a test for COVID might not necessarily be appropriate given the time, given, uh, like, depending on what amount of time has elapsed. Um, possibly uh, antibody tests might be useful to know whether or not the person has had COVID. 
Um, but I think I think one of the things to do would be just to have a discussion with a family doctor to see you sort of what's the best thing to do given the circumstances of that particular person. Uh, because like so many other things, and we found this with COVID as well, uh, some of the other symptoms and, that, that we've talked about, uh, they're very, very similar to, to how other diseases or infections could manifest themselves in the body too. So it's, it's not as if you can just put your finger on it right away and say, ah, that's what this has to be. Uh, obviously, if you're experiencing these, that, that first call, that first portal, I guess, is your family physician to find out what's going on and, and perhaps go from there as to what kind of a, a procedure you should follow after that. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Doctor, uh, what's the time frame for this? I, I, this is ongoing, I understand, but do you, do you have an end game, an end date in mind when you're saying, okay, we've, we've got this done, now let's, let's extrapolate some, some data from this? <laughs> well, um, this, is a, this is a project that uh, is ongoing. I should say, first of all, that uh, if people are interested in participating, they could email me at neurocovid at sunnybrook.ca. Um, we are going to be trying to collect as much data as we can because the imaging protocol is very diverse and some of the results are going to require uh, a large population of subjects in order to make some uh, observations and definitive conclusions. Um, but we're uh, starting to report our study findings and we're going to be continuing that over the next year. It's it's fascinating, and we always have to put this in perspective, I guess, and understand that it's really only been about a year since since we've been exposed to this, and, and we're learning more and more every day. And uh, the work that you and your staff are doing on this are going to be a key part in, in developing uh, a better understanding as to what it is that we're dealing with right now and the implications both short and long term. Uh, we wish you uh, good luck with this, Doctor. Continued success with this. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Thanks very much, Bill. Pleasure talking with you. Uh, Dr. Simon Graham, Senior Scientist at Sunnybrook Research Institute. This is something that I've heard from a lot of people, and, and it's one of those things where you're thinking, you know, what is going on? You know, I'm having what I know some people rather refer to it rather cryptically as I'm having a senior's moment. Uh, you know, you can't remember the word that you were thinking of, or hey, why did I come into this room? And uh, you just, a lot of the times, what we will do in circumstances like that is just pass it off and say, I'm just having a weird day. That's all there is to it. But if symptoms persist, uh, it could well be uh, part of this, uh, especially, you know, let, let's face it, not all of us get tested for COVID, and you might actually uh, be relatively asymptomatic but still have this impacting on you too. So as uh, Dr. Graham mentioned, if you uh, feel as if uh, that next important step is, is something that you need to do, uh, go through your family doctor and explain to it, and uh, you can decide on exactly what course of action they're going to do. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.